the uh, scripture uh, for this morning comes from Judges uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7. We'll be kind of looking mostly in chapter 7. We're going to start the reading here in chapter 6. That's on page 205, and uh, the second half will be on page 207 in your pew Bibles. Um, I'll just be reading Judges uh, 6, 11 through 16, and then chapter 7, uh, 9 through 15. Um, if you uh, were out front, you maybe saw these cards uh, with these envelopes that are addressed to uh, or from Christ Community Church. And the idea is every year we have these prayer cards uh, where you'd write a prayer request on a card sometime in the, the first month of the year. And then we put them in a jar and uh, the prayer request would be in this jar. And we pray uh, for these prayer requests as a staff, as a church, as uh, as a church leadership of elders, um, pray over these prayer requests, and then uh, you'll write your uh, your address on it. And at the end of the year, we mail them back to you, so you can see what happened with your prayer requests. And the, the, a lot of people have really enjoyed doing this, just as a way of kind of marking the new year. So I encourage you to take advantage of these on the way out. We're going to be uh, collecting all the prayer cards on uh, January twentieth, um, I believe. That's when we'll have that part of the service. But uh, let's stand uh, for the reading of God's word here in Judges 6. Uh, if you're familiar at all with the book of Judges, there's this cycle which happens uh, where, you know, after God's people came into the promised land, they forgot God. A couple of generations passed by and they forgot God. And so uh, they began to worship false gods and disobey God. And so God sent enemies in uh, to essentially enslave uh, God's people. And then they cried out to God and then God sent them a leader and then they were uh, saved, and then they fell back into idol worship, and this cycle kind of continues and continues. So in Judges chapter 6, we're at the beginning of a cycle where God is about to raise up a new leader for his people, uh, and that leader's name is Gideon. So here, uh, Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand Of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now let's uh, flip over uh, to chapter 7 here. This is kind of the end. Of Gideon's story. That was the beginning. Uh, chapter 7, verse starting in verse 9. This is on page 207 of the Pew Bibles. A couple days later, Gideon is in the camp of the enemy, uh, looking uh, look in his camp, looking down at the camp of the enemy. It says, The same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. 
And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given us into his hand. God has given into his hand Midian and all of the camp. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. You may be seated. We'll take a a few moments to reflect on these words. We have this uh, tradition at Christ Community Church just to leave a time of silence after the scripture reading because we really do believe that God's word uh, can uh, speak for itself in the sense that um, it's understandable, that you don't need some spiritual guru to uh, translate it for you, that it's, it's here uh, in words that we can understand, praise God, and, and we can really see and, and draw goodness out of it on our own. But then God also does bless the preaching of his word. And, and our hope is uh, that as I uh, highlight a couple things, that, that the Lord, not, not, not just me, would speak to you, but, but that the Lord really would be speaking to us this morning. Because uh, that's what we need. <laughs> uh, so as we begin this year together, you know, we're starting a new year, 2017. I think this text in particular is is posing a question to us and maybe maybe the whole story of Gideon. But, you know, we thought this text would be especially appropriate because for for the people of Israel, you know, they fell into these cycles and then God raised up a new leader and it was like, oh, they've got a new start. (laughs) And, And it's pretty common, I think, especially in the Old Testament, you look at these heroes and the focus can be on the hero. Gideon or um, David or um, Solomon or any of these uh, mighty leaders that God raises up for his people. But this morning, what I want us to focus on is not so much Gideon, although we'll see some aspects of who he is, but really focus on the Lord. Asking the question, who is God and what has he done? What's his character like? And, and, and more specifically, I want us to ask the question that I think the text is asking us this morning. Will you trust God? Will you trust God this year? And not just will you trust God when things are great, as uh, my friend Pete says, uh, when things are all ponies and rainbows. That's what he said. You know, if stuff's going well in your marriage, man, it's ponies and rainbows right now. Not when it's just ponies and rainbows, but will you trust God when it's hard? 
Will you trust God when things this year don't work out the way you hoped they would? Will you be resolved to trust him through times of doubt, through seasons of trial that will come in your life? And not only that, how do you learn to trust God? Let's say you want to trust him, but, but how do you learn how to put your trust in God even through doubt? Well, it's a little like how a child learns how to trust their parent, right? You, imagine this. Uh, maybe, maybe this has happened to you. This, is, this has happened to me. You're walking with your child. And let's say it's a four-year-old son. You're walking with your child across the sand towards the waves at the beach. And you can tell maybe your child's getting a little bit nervous. So as you're walking toward the beach, you know, you had said, hey, we're going to play in the water. We're going to go boogie boarding. The child reaches for your hand, clutches it right <laughs> in their fist. And they start to drag their feet a little more with each step as you're walking toward the waves. Now, earlier that morning, the child was really excited about going into the waves, really excited about playing at the ocean. But now you actually see the ocean. You actually see the waves. You can feel the spray on your face. And you're starting to have second thoughts. And so your child looks up at you and says, Dad, I don't think I want to go boogie boarding today. And you look down and you say, well, why not? No answer. You say, are, are you scared? And, and you should mention, I should mention, by the way, your, your child is, uh, has a, a flotation device, has water wings, has uh, goggles. Has every, I mean, they're, they're pretty much waterproof. So there's no real reason to be scared. But you know that they are scared. You can tell. And so as a parent, as a friend, as an uncle, as an aunt, you know, whoever, you talk to this child and you say, uh, this is the million dollar question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And, and the answer to that question that the child gives is going to be based pretty much because they're, they're a child and they kind of have a short attention span. No offense. Um, because I do too. But it's going to be pretty much based upon uh, what your actions were like over the last, I don't know, five hours. So if the last five hours were, you know, Legos and candy and like, I don't know, Ninja Turtle cartoons or something that I'm just saying what my son likes. But all these different things, if you just, it's all fun and goodness and excitement, they might want to trust you. But if in the last five hours you've had to discipline them, You've had to let them down in some way. Well, it's going to be a lot harder for them to extend that trust and to walk out with you into the waves. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of operate the same way with God, don't we? Uh, If our life isn't going the way we hoped or our recent memories aren't especially happy or uh, feeling kind of connected with God, if you wake up and it, you know, you open up the Bible and this the fireworks don't happen and the hallelujah chorus doesn't happen. You, you just go, does God really love me? Is he really looking out for me? Is he going to protect me? Is he going to be faithful to keep his promises? Can I trust him today? Can I trust him this year? Now, those same kind of questions were running through the minds of the Israelites during the time of the judges. Remember, I told you that these people were extremely forgetful. They'd, they'd forget what God has done. They'd fall into disobedience. He'd deliver them, and, and, uh, and then they'd fall right back into disobedience. And so because of this cycle 
God has delivered them at this point into the hands of the Midianites, who are kind of the big bullies uh, to the east, their neighbors. But in Judges chapter 6, God raises up a champion for the people. His name's Gideon. But Gideon, just like the rest of the Israelites, we're going to find out, is totally forgetful. He's struggling with doubt. He's struggling with fear. He's struggling with unbelief. And in this passage, in these kind of three little events that we're going to look at, God graciously and vividly reveals himself to Gideon. And in the process, as God reveals himself, Gideon's doubt and fear is transformed into faith and love and trust. So this morning, as we look together at Gideon's story, I, I want you to see God revealing yourself, himself to you as well. When we see him, we will be able to trust him. We will see with Gideon that because God has shown he is faithful, because he's demonstrated his faithfulness, we can trust God this year, even through our doubts. We're going to look at three kind of snapshots from Gideon's story. The first involves a fleece. The second involves uh, a group of soldiers. And the third involves the dream uh, that we saw uh, earlier. And these three little snapshots will show us that we can trust God because first, he's patient with our questions. Two, he's powerfully working through weakness. And number three, we can trust him because he's already provided for the victory. So first, let's look here um, in chapter 6, kind of starting in verse 33. Uh, we can trust God because he's patiently listening to our questions. So our text begins here uh, in 6. 33, God's already kind of spoken to Gideon once, and they've gotten all of the armies together. Gideon's had this kind of like early start of faithfulness, and he's really zealous for God, and so he gets all the armies together. And uh, it says, all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. So his people came. And then he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they called out to follow him. And, and so all these people came, and now the Israelites, their teams kind of stacked up to fight their enemies. And uh, God empowers Gideon. He equips Gideon. And, and we think, all right, God, you've showed yourself to Gideon. The armies of God are there. Let's go. And you think we could just switch right on to uh, chapter 7, but something happens. And this is a pattern we're going to see. Gideon starts really well, takes two steps forward, and then takes ten steps back. Because Gideon should be there in the midst of all the armies, right? They're gathering together. He's their general. But where do we find Gideon? He's not with his men. He's back in a cave. He's back in the wine press, the, the cave that he used to hide in when the raiding armies of the Midianites came in. It said... Um, that Gideon was there uh, in the cave. And Gideon said to God in verse 36, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm going to lay a fleece of wood on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece and it's dry on the ground, then I will know that you really will save my hand, uh, as you have said. And so Gideon, what he does is he, uh, he tests God. <laughs> he asks God a, a couple Admittedly, kind of dumb questions. So he tests God uh, by questioning both his identity and God's character. 
So he's questioning God's identity. If you look in verse 36, he's, uh, he's testing God. He, he's putting the fleece down and he's saying, God, I just want to know, are, are you just like this, uh, wise person that's come? Are you just some kind of prophet? Are you like the living God? You have control over, um, nature. So you could do some kind of miracle. I, I just want to test and see. Uh, and so he, he lays this fleece out and asks God to, to put water on it. And, uh, and I think if you pay attention in, in the book of uh, Judges, you can see kind of when people really don't get God, what's, get who God is and what he's doing, and when they finally realize it by the way they use the name of God. So God gave his covenant name to his people, and that is Yahweh. And in your Bibles, it's uh, capital L-O-R-D. That's when someone's like talking to God by his name. They say, Lord, L-O-R-D. Now, any other time, if they're just using kind of a generic word for God, it'll be God or lowercase Lord. Or even in chapter six, when we read earlier, when uh, God comes to Gideon in the wine press for the first time, he doesn't even call him Lord. He calls him sir. Uh, Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, mister. How can you say that God is with us? And God is like, I can say I'm with you because I'm literally right with you, Gideon. I'm here right now. Can't you see it? And he says, but sir. God did all these things in the past. Uh, I don't know if we can trust him to do them again. And you can understand, I mean, Gideon is terrified because his recent memory is just loss, 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 fear, trial, suffering. And so you can understand Gideon uh, throws out this fleece to test God because he's not sure that what God says will really happen. And Gideon has trouble trusting God, I would say, because he really doesn't know God. He's ignorant. I mean, for generations, uh, the people of Israel have kind of forsaken the worship of God. And so Gideon's father had an idol to a false god. And so Gideon grew up in a house that, where God's word wasn't really valued. And so he wasn't taught um, to worship God. He wasn't taught to understand God's word and to trust it. Okay? And not only that, he didn't have people around him. So he was kind of a sitting duck. You can understand that Gideon really doesn't recognize God when he comes to him. But even though Gideon is asking this foolish question, God mercifully, wondrously condescends to do exactly what Gideon asks. So Gideon lays out the fleas and it says, behold, the next morning he opens, he he takes it up and it's soaking wet with water. He goes to wring it out and it just, you know, covers the floor because God's like, yeah, I'm not just going to bring a little bit of water. (laughs) I'm going to bring a ton of water. So you have no reason to doubt me whatsoever. Yeah, I can, I can do whatever I want with the natural created world, Gideon. And then Gideon says, well, actually, um, sorry to uh, bother you again, but, um, what if I throw the fleece out this time and instead, um, uh, will you, uh, Will you make the whole floor wet and just the fleece dry? And God says, sure, Gideon. And so he does it again. And he does exactly what Gideon asked. And this time, Gideon is really just testing God's character. He's saying, hey, I know you're powerful, but are you, are you patient? Uh, will you be merciful to me, even though you're powerful? Gideon really doesn't learn anything new, except that God is really patient with dumb questions. And we're amazed when you read this, aren't you? Uh, that God just doesn't like send a lightning bolt on Gideon and say, I'm getting a new leader. You're, 
you're, you're too doubting. You're too fearful. You're too unfaithful. But God is remarkably patient and gentle with those who are struggling and doubting. I mean, for, for a contrast, uh, think about um, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Remember, the angel of the Lord comes to her and he just says, hey, you're going to have a baby by supernatural means. The father of the, God, the, the baby is going to be the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be the promised son that's going to come into the world. That's going to be the baby that you're going to have. And she doesn't say, well, give me a sign. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure. She just said, may it be to me as you have said, I'm the Lord's servant. So she trusted God's word. But now Gideon, he's asking for sign after sign after sign. And, and, and the picture that we have of Gideon is um, he's kind of like a fire that you're trying to build with wet wood. You know, there's like a couple sparks, but there's a lot of smoke. Not that much heat. And the Bible says that God is really merciful to smoking wood. That even if there's the littlest spark of fire, God's going to fan that into flame. If we have faith mixed with doubt, God deals with the doubt. And he perseveres with us to help fan our faith into fire. That's what God is doing here. And so the question that I have for us is just, what about you? What what causes you to doubt God's word? What causes you to doubt his character? Uh, Maybe, like Gideon, it's just because you don't know that much about the Bible. You don't know that much about what he's done in history. And so a question comes along and it just knocks you over. Maybe something like that's happened. If you have a question like that, I'd encourage you to write it down. Talk to an elder about it. Talk to an older, more mature Christian friend about it. You know, deal with those doubts. Maybe that's what you need to do uh, this year. To shore up your faith so you can trust God more. Uh, Maybe like Gideon, you just have these kind of well-worn habits of doubt. You know, Gideon, when the Midianites would come, he'd run into this cave and hide from them. And then when he got scared, he was supposed to be with the army. Where is he? Back in the cave. So I don't know for you what what your cave is. When life gets hard, when it gets difficult, is there a place you go? Is there a habit you indulge in? Is there something that you do to kind of cope with it? That's really just a a habit of unbelief. Maybe that's the thing that you need to deal with this year. Maybe that's the thing you need to involve a friend in to help uh, you trust God and kind of turn from these uh, thoughts or these, these habits that, that, that turn you away from him. But if you're doubting, which I think, if we're honest, is, it, on a given day could be any of us, can you see here that God's not afraid of your questions? God is ready to listen. And he's ready right now to remind you just exactly who he is and what he came to do. And as one wider said, I, I love this, God always cherishes even the least beginnings. God always cherishes even the littlest spark of faith in our life. So if you're, you're new to the faith, if you don't even know where you stand, you're, you're in welcome company. God says, come, ask your questions. I want to show you how patient I am. But God's not just patient. God's also powerful. And his power is like no other power that the world recognizes. Because God's power works in weakness. 
And because God's power works in weakness and is kind of uniquely displayed through weakness, this means that we can trust them even when we are weak. In other words, we can trust God because he's powerfully working in our weakness. So turn to chapter 7 here, just the beginnings of chapter 7. You know, God did the miracle with the fleece and the dew, and um, he, he was patient with Gideon. And it says, then Jeroboam, that's Gideon's kind of nickname, and all the people who were with him, they rose early, and they encamped beside the spring of Herod, Harad. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord, remember, that's his special name, the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. This is interesting. So the first time Gideon tests God, and now it seems like God is testing Gideon. Now, the result of this test is that Gideon's view of God expands even more. Because we see not just what God can do, but we see that God's, we see God's preferred method of working. His preferred method of working is through the weak things of the world. Because there's a kind of human strength that's actually opposed to God's glory. Now, I'm not saying that God can only work through the weak things of the world. He can do whatever he wants because he's God. Uh, but his preferred way of working is by glory, glorifying himself in weakness. As the Apostle Paul said, uh, My grace is sufficient for you, God said. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So this kind of human strength that's opposed to God, you see it in the Midianite army. And then you also kind of see it in the Israelites. The Midianite army, I mean, it's obvious. It says they're like locusts on the shore, right? I mean, there's tons of numbers. They're powerful. They have camels, which in the... um, You know, in the Old Testament time, a camel was like a nuclear warhead. I mean, that was like, if you had camels, if your army had camels... You were it, right? And everyone was afraid of you. So you had camels, they had chariots. I mean, they had all the gear. And then you have this kind of ragtag band of Israelites. But there's a lot of them. I mean, Gideon doesn't feel like there's a lot of them. uh, Because, uh, you know, Gideon is kind of gathering people together and God stops Gideon. And he says, Gideon, uh, there's a problem. And Gideon kind of says, well, what's the problem, God? I know what it is. I know. I mean, they're too strong. There's not enough of us. I mean, they've got the nuclear warheads, right? I mean, they've got the camels. Uh, I know what the problem is. We need to, like, go to some Navy SEAL training camp or something. I mean, we, we really need some more supplies. We need to stop and we need to get more men. And God says, no, 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 Gideon. The problem isn't that you're too weak. The problem isn't that you're untrained. The problem is you're too strong. You're too numerous. And if you look, I mean, there's all these weird uh, theories about what God is actually doing when he uh, kind of winnows at, down the army, you know, because he says, you know, take a group of them. And if they, they drink the water in a certain way, then take the ones that drink that way and, and send them home. And then he says, also, you know, uh, if there's people who are just kind of afraid, send them home and they can be with their families. And people have all these theories of like, well... You know, the people who knelt down to drink, that means they were ready to fight. So they're like the super prepared ones. So God kept them. And I, I mean, I think that's being a little too speculative. <laughs> if you read this, the only criteria that God uses when he's judging uh, the army and when he kind of he's winning women down is he just says there's too many of them. 
Well, okay, so just if anyone wants to go home, they can go home. All right, now I've cut it by half. Uh, just tell them to, you could have said hop on one foot, and whoever hops on the left foot, they leave, hops on the right foot, they stay. I mean, it seems so arbitrary, but the main thing, God just says, I need to whittle them down because there's just too many of them. And then finally, after a bunch of them had left, after the first test, uh, he takes 70% of the men. And then God takes, uh, and that's like 22,000 of them. Then God dismisses 10,000 more. And Gideon just has this little fraction of an army. And God says, oh, that's perfect. That's just the size of an army that I need. This is something I can work with. Before Gideon, you and the Israelites would be tempted to trust in my strength plus the strength of your army. You'd give me the glory when you won, but you'd be kind of tempted to, to wonder after you won the battle. I mean, was it something in us? Was it, you know, my, my, my great strategy? Was it my amazing leadership? And God's like, no, I just want to totally remove any doubt about who's the powerful one, about who's the, who is the one that's in control. Uh, God does this all over the Bible. Right, he, he brings a promise to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 18. He visits Abraham and he says, Abraham, guess what? You're going to have a child. He visits Abraham on his hundredth birthday and says, you're going to have a child. The time is right for you right now. Sarah, your wife, 90 years old. You're going to have a child. And Sarah hears this and she laughs. She said, that's impossible. That is impossible. 70 years ago, maybe. <laughs> but now, it's impossible, God. It, it, and then, <laughs> it seems too good to believe. And then Genesis eighteen twelve, she hears it and she laughs. She laughs in God's face when she hears the promise. But then, for her 92nd birthday, Sarah is nursing a baby in her arms. It is too good to believe But little Isaac, their baby, was a reminder of how God delights to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Because then he gets the glory. And so I wonder for us, for you this year, I wonder, what if God decided for the sake of your good and for his glory, if he decided to make you weak this year? I mean, I think at the beginning of the year, uh, what we often do is we kind of pray for God to, um, in his power, deliver us from suffering, deliver us from weakness, deliver us from pain. But what if God decides this year to, li- to deliver you from within pain, to deliver you within suffering, to make his glory known because of some tragedy that happened? Is that going to be all right with you? I wonder, is there something in your life that God looks at and he says, you know what? They're trusting in this plus me. I wonder if some of us, God looks at us and he says, you know what? They have, they might have too much in their savings account. And they're not trusting on me to provide for them anymore. So this is the year that they're going to take a hit. 
so they can know that I'm the one who provides for them. I'm not saying that he is going to do that, but if he does do that, is that okay with you? Because some of us, we've experienced that before. I think some of us in this last year, as Paul said, I mean, we felt like God has thinned us out. That God has winnowed us down in some way. I mean, there's so many different stories of it, but you guys know. God providentially sometimes can bring pain into your life for the purpose of displaying his glory, for the purpose of making his love known to you. He can do that. And my prayer for you this year is that would you see him in a new way? Would you know his power in a special way that you wouldn't have known if that trial hadn't come into your life? Would you seek to glorify him and and worship him even more because you're weakened in some way? I know that's been my experience this year in some ways, that it feels like you're getting thinned out. Not literally, but kind of, you know, spiritually thinned out, emotionally thinned out. But God is sweeter. God is better. God is more glorious. When you've thrown off these weights that that hold you down, and you can really run with him. Well, we've seen God is so good, And so trustworthy that not only does he turn our weakness inside out to bring himself glory, he's demonstrating his power through his deeds in our life. And if we're going to trust God this year, we're going to have to see not only is he patient, not only is he powerful, but we're also going to have to see for ourselves that the real victory we need, the real victory that we're too weak to provide for ourselves God has already provided it for us in Jesus Christ. And and that's the final point here, that that we can trust God because he's already provided the victory. Gideon learns this lesson as he goes down into the enemy's camp. And he learns that God both provides before we ask, and he provides what he requires from us. So look, look how God takes the initiative with Gideon. Uh, Look here in uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 8. It says, you know, these 300 men, (laughs) that's all the army that's left, by the way, 300 men, they took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Gideon's there, he's kind of setting up a new smaller camp with these people, and it's almost like the camera, even though Gideon's got this army behind him, it just says, the army of Midian, the camp, was below him. Gideon's all alone. He's at the edge of this cliff looking down, and it's just him and this massive army. And Gideon's afraid. It's kind of a a normal place for Gideon to be afraid. The camp is below him in the valley, and it says, The same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down into the camp, because I've given it into your hands. God says, Gideon, I know you're afraid. And you've been asking me for signs your whole life. And right now, I think Gideon is too afraid to even ask God for a sign. But God decides, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. 
And not only this, the way God anticipates what he needs. This is amazing. God says, listen, if you're afraid, you can bring a friend with you. If you're afraid to go about by yourself, bring your friend. And look, you see, when he goes down there, this is, uh, I just, this is so humorous when I read it. It says, um, you know, if you're afraid, go down and bring a friend. And it says, he went down with Pura, his servant. <laughs> he took a friend because he was afraid. He took his friend down into the camp. And God says, I've given it into your hand. And I think this is really, really interesting for us. In verse 9, in 14, in 15, this message is consistent. I have given it into your hand, past tense. The enemy has already been handed over to you. God has already accomplished the victory. He's already done for Gideon what he's asking Gideon to do. While Gideon's waiting and doubting and fearing the enemy, God was turning the battle towards the Israelites. He was striking fear into the hearts of the enemy before Gideon even lifted a hand. And so Gideon hears these men talking in the camp, and finally he knows that the victory is his. The victory belongs to the Lord. God has already provided this victory. And even though God has won the battle, basically, um, Gideon still has something left to do. And what he does is really instructive for us. So he hears that God has done everything that needed to be done, Basically, he's already defeated the enemy, and Gideon does two things. And this, this order is very important. First, Gideon worships. Then Gideon gets to work. Really important that we get that order right. Gideon hears the good news that God has delivered him from his enemies. He worships God. Right there in the dark, outside the tent with his friend Pura, he worships God. And then he gets to work. In verse 15, this is the turning point for Gideon. I mean, I, I, I just love this. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And then fearful Gideon returns to the camp and says, Arise, the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Isn't that amazing? He's telling the good news. He's proclaiming the victory. He worships and then he goes and he rallies all the men. And the good news is on his lips. He can't help but share it uh, with everyone. Uh, Gideon's doubt and fear is turned to trust and praise. And Gideon's work now, after he's worshipped, his work is based on the confidence that God has already won the victory. Now, this is what we're called to do. This is, this is a picture of what we're called to do in the Christian life. We're called to worship and obey God, not to earn our forgiveness, but we're called to worship and obey him, to get to work, because he has already forgiven us in Christ. If you're a Christian, God has fully forgiven all your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, who already suffered for you and was raised from the dead. He lived a perfect life in your place, and all of his righteousness is credited to you. And now, you're called to worship him, to honor him, to walk with him, to obey him, to work alongside him in this world that he has made, in this world that he is redeeming. But he's done it all for you. You're called to trust in him and to follow him into the world. This is the whole journey of the Christian life. Uh, one writer says that it, it's the journey of becoming in practice what we are in position. 
You know, when I was uh, in college, my freshman year, I became um, a leader with this youth ministry called Young Life. And I was really pretty green with the Bible, uh, pretty green in my faith, but I had a lot of enthusiasm. And someone said, uh, we've trained you a little bit. We think you're qualified to be a spiritual leader in the lives of high school students. And I said, if you say so. And so they gave me this title. They gave me this position. And really the, the next four years of my life uh, were the process of me figuring out how to do this thing that I've been called to do. They put the crown on my head and it didn't really fit at first. And then I grew into it. That's what God does with Gideon. He says, you're a mighty warrior. You have strength. Look at you. He puts the crown on his head and it kind of falls off. And then Gideon grows into it as God grows him up in the faith. Gideon finally becomes what God says he is, a mighty warrior. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I I just want to give you another picture because I think some of us, we have this idea that if Jesus has already done everything for us, that could lead a Christian to want to be lazy somehow. Uh, there's this wonderful picture uh, from the life of this Puritan guy, John Bunyan. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress, but he was really struggling with assurance, uh, being assured that God really loved him, that his sins were really forgiven. And uh, so he was just had this sense of guilt that like maybe he hadn't done enough to please God. And and he says in his diary that one night as he's um, kind of walking out in the fields on his property, A sentence fell upon his soul. This is what it says. This sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. And John Bunyan says, with the eyes of my soul, I looked and I saw Jesus at the father's right hand. And then there I said, there is my righteousness. The righteous standing before God that he'd been looking for, that he'd been striving for that he was conscious of lacking, he saw that it was safe and secure because Christ had already won it for him. And so John Bunyan says, now I could look from myself to Christ and I could trust that all my character was like the coins a rich man carries in his pocket when all his gold is safe in a trunk at home. All my success, all my progress, all my faith, it's like little coins that I carry around in my pocket. But the treasure is safe at home. With Christ. I saw that my gold was indeed at a trunk at home. In Christ my Lord. Christ now was my all. He was my righteousness, my sanctification, my redemption. And I wonder for some of us if we don't have that feeling. That, yeah, Christ has forgiven us. He's your redemption. But is he your righteousness? Do you trust that his perfect record has stood in for your imperfect record? He's really set you free from continued slavery of having to kind of pay God back for loving you so much. Or from the, the pressure of worrying that you might, you might somehow lose his love. What John Bunyan found out, what, what Gideon found out, is that everything we need, God has already provided for us. That's the message of the gospel. And knowing that drives us to work. Because John Bunyan lived a pretty productive life. You know, he heard the gospel, he understood it. 
He struggled and then he went and he preached and he was thrown in jail and, and he wrote all these books. And uh, I mean, he lived this incredibly productive, incredibly faithful life, trusting that God had already done it all for him. Because he had the security of knowing that his righteousness was safe with Christ, that the victory had already been won. And so I, I wonder for you this year, what do you need to do in order to become in practice what you already are in position? What, ask this question. Okay, what is a fully forgiven, mature child of God, how do they wake up in the morning? How does a, a beloved child of the king of the universe, how do they spend their money? How do they do vacation? Uh, how, how do they act at work? How does a, um, a righteous, forgiven, beloved, empowered son or daughter of the king of the universe... How do they walk into church? How do they think about the people around them? I mean, how do they think about their neighbors, their physical neighbors? Great questions to ask. You are a child of God if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. You are fully forgiven. You are beloved by him. Your future is secure. What are you going to do to walk in that and to grow in that and to kind of Grow into the crown that God has put in your head a little more this year. So do you see the difference that the gospel makes? <laughs> when you're doubting like Gideon, when you're doubting like, like we are going to be prone to this year, you need more than just promises. You need a demonstration of God's faithfulness. And that's what he's given us. As you see his patience, as you see his power, as you see his provision... It will move you to trust in him this year. So I'll ask you the same question that I started with. Will you trust God this year? Will you trust him not just when it's good, but will you trust him when it's hard? Will you resolve to follow after him? This year, what do you need to do? Or what do you need to let him do so that his gospel can go out and that he can be glorified in your life? This morning, decide that this year you will trust God. Strengthen your resolve to obey him by looking back at his mighty acts through history. Look at what he's done for Gideon. Look at the empty tomb. Look at what he's done in the lives of those around you. His promises are real. His power is real. He's making all things new. And that includes you. Rest in him. Believe in him. Read his word. Let him work through your weakness because he has provided what we need in Jesus Christ.